This is Witches, Bitches, and Dead People with Intuitive Oracle, Jamie Hearn. Jamie stirs the cauldron with witches, shamans, healers, psychics, and mediums who bravely share their power and give you insight into what conversations with dead people really look like. It's probably not what you think. Sometimes hilarious, sometimes macabre, and always informative. Hello and welcome back to Witches, Bitches, and Dead People. I'm Jamie Hearn, and today we're chatting with Fred Salzman. Fred and I are apparently star-crossed interviewers and interviewee because we've tried this like 43 times, and this one is going to be the charm. <laughs> Makes sense. 44 is my number, so this must be it. <laughs> <laughs> Fred is a chirologist, which is the biological study of the hands, and we're going to dig into about 12-ish years. Is that correct, Fred? Yeah, it's years? probably been about at least 12 years, at least, maybe a little bit more. And Fred is also a Theta Healing practitioner and instructor, and he's been at that for at least six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually going into my seven plus, seven plus years. Wow, that's it is amazing because in some respect, it feels like I just learned Theta like a month ago. And in another respect, it feels like I've known it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very familiar feeling. I think so. it is. It's I mean, I could stay I could stay in Theta for days. I feel like it's it's a great place to hang out. <laughs> It's so important, I think, especially where we're at now. So let's we'll dig into what Theta is and, and how it's used. But I'm interested in sharing just a, a snippet of your background story, um, okay. because I find it fascinating how you came from not such a woo, magical kind of background and stumbled into this path. Oh, it definitely found me. Yeah. Um, my background's way more in the biological sense of things. Um, I, I guess my old, I guess, career used to be in medical technology, where I'd work in laboratories, chemistry, urinalysis, hematology, blood banks, um, ran a blood donor center. And then my last job was working at the Red Cross in Philadelphia doing the donor testing for all of the blood donors for the Northeast United States. And uh, so I've always been that five cents male, you know, to where it's, I don't touch it, taste it, hear it, smell it. It doesn't exist to me, but I've always had an interest in spirituality or just that metaphysical energy that you just can't put a finger or a sense onto it in a way. So I've always kind of been interested in that, but what actually led me into this experience was actually the chirology is went through a divorce you know, which is always a fun thing to go through in lifetime whenever things get shaken up for you. Well, yeah, and it's really transformational if you look at it as an opportunity. (laughs) Totally. Um, So after the divorce, I was like, you know, I'm going to go on vacation by myself. I'm going to just do what any male would do and Google spiritual vacations. And uh, Sedona popped up. So I went to Sedona by myself for a few days. And uh, yeah, that is exactly what every dude would do, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm like, what? Well, because I have no idea. Like, I didn't even know where to start, let alone even think of the United States. Um, but I have heard of Sedona before, but it just never piqued my interest until, you know, everything in my life kind of presented itself for that. So, yeah, when I was in Sedona, I went to a psychic, you know, medium, which is I never went to one before because I never believed in any of this stuff. I always thought that was just, you know, woo woo bullshit voodoo stuff or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then I sat down with this lady for an hour and she read my hands and tried to do some tarot cards and some playing cards. But everything was just really bizarre with how everything was coming through. Uh, the first two cards I pulled in tarot were the full. I pulled it once and then I pulled it again. And the reader was like, this isn't working. She pulled out a regular playing card deck. I shuffled it. She did, did this big 12 card spread. The first two cards she turned over were Joker, Joker. You know, so then in my male brain, I'm statistically looking at the probabilities of this. <laughs> like non-existent. I'm like, this is impossible. You know, but that was from my male brain just to see a little bit of a shift. But I just left kind of, she said something about my hands having two different hands. And for some reason, it stuck with me besides just a left and a right one, you know. So I started looking into like palm reading, but I didn't like palm reading because it just didn't seem as exact for my male brain. And then uh, I found a gentleman by the name of Johnny Fincham who uh, teaches chirology, which is a different term in a way, Cairo's hand, so it's to study the hand. And all his aspects were male brain, biologically based features on hands, like your fingerprint, skin type, the lines change and your behaviors change. So I started looking into that. And just when I started looking at my own hands as to the way he was describing certain fingerprints, it was like everything in my life made sense to me. Well, and I, I, find, yeah, I find it so interesting because, I mean, you know that you've taught me the basics of chirology yeah. and my own hands are super unremarkable. I'm like, well, these are boring, but my one son's, you've looked at, at his hands. They are oh, fascinating. Yeah. And it, he couldn't believe how accurate the information that was coming through on his hands were, were really related to him. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me because the thing I love about it is whatever's on your hands is reflection of your brain, you know, because the hands have 15 times more nerve endings on the cerebral cortex than other aspects of the body. So the hands are like the user's manual for your brain. So when I read someone's hands, which it can take about 90 minutes to go through a full hand reading with someone, um, it really allows them to understand why their thoughts come through in different ways, because we're not in control of our thoughts. You know, our brains are computers that are looking where we're at, based upon where it's been, like we don't know what we don't know. And then whenever your brain comes to its conclusions, it will give you the result in the form of conscious recognition or what we would call thought. So when you realize that we're not in control of our thoughts, it's fascinating because then you start wondering, where are these thoughts coming from <laughs> and why? So when you look at someone's hands, a lot of the hardwired aspects like the fingerprints, and you can have fingerprints on the palm of your hand as well, this kind of shows how your brain is hardwired to flavor your thoughts, which is more about what your purpose is here. Because to me, when the brain is in alignment with doing what it's designed to do, and then you bring that heart woo-woo space loving into the energy of the, the emotion and what that feels like, then we really start to see that true head-heart connection that we all speak of. 
And that's when things can flow so well for you in your life. But if you're making choices that isn't really in alignment with how your brain functions, it's going to cause fight or flight. Um, So it's really just learning more about how your brain works. And it's nothing that people don't already know, but now they know why it happens. So then they're not just reacting to it. Then you can be a little bit more proactive to your thoughts. And all of that is really useful information to people to have as a tool. And that's what Anthony's been doing. He's like, hmm, I, even now, he's like, I wonder where that shows up in my hands. And he's looking at his own hands and evaluating. And then he asked me, I'm like, oh, no, Fred's your man. Ask him. <laughs> uh, yeah, have him send me some questions. I don't mind. I love talking about it. Because it's it's really just learning more about yourself. You know, it kind of allows you to understand the the positive and the challenging sides of every aspect in life. And it really is something simple to look at, um, but it's just so profoundly accurate. It's amazing to me. And my male brain loved that. You know, that was like, all it was was rote memorization, you know, and then you start putting pieces together in behavioral patterns. And within doing this for the first six well, months, oh, go ahead. No, I have experienced your your the way you convey the information, and you don't give yourself adequate credit because while the patterns may be rote memorization, you definitely extract more information than just what you read in Johnny's book. Yeah, and I think that's my male brain trying to accept my intuition. <laughs> which has always been fascinating. Um, And it's just about trusting your thoughts to certain extents. You know, the difference between a thought and intuition is very different Um, because a thought is processed through your unconscious programs, which is what you've experienced in your life, where intuition can come in in a thought form, but it's dropped in like as a thought versus processed. And we all know when we get those intuitive hits, like we don't question it. We just know it in our heart to be true or it's something that's so bizarre and it's unrecognizable because it's not part of what our unconscious is helping us determine that we just trust it for what it is. And that to me is one of the biggest challenges in life is trusting that intuition and kind of determining is this intuition or is this just an unconscious thought process? Absolutely. and. So often the question people ask me when they're studying, developing their intuition is, am I making this shit up? Yes. (laughs) And I'm like, remember, we're not in control of our thoughts. So whatever comes through, follow it, especially if the intention (laughs) is for to utilize the intuition. And, And intuition is shown on hands. There are certain fingerprints on certain fingers and certain areas of the palm. Like I can tell where a person's intuition comes from. It's especially people that are incredibly intuitive. So if it's not a mark on the hands, I found it's uh, usually a near-death experience or incredible amounts of trauma in the childhood. Um, They're the two aspects that aren't always on a hand that lead to intuition. For me, I think you said, because like my hands are so unremarkable, (laughs) that it's probably a, a, like... (laughs) <laughs> well, it's it's like a lineage thing for me. Yes, it's a genetic process. 
Mm-hmm. And, and uh, if you it's know, encouraging. And they got that too. It's just who you are on a deeper sense. It really is amazing. Um, but what I found is a lot of people that have incredibly strong intuition had a really traumatic childhood too. And I think a lot of that comes from the trauma and all kids are intuitive up to the age of seven, which kind of taps in and ties into the theta brainwave uh, where kids are in a waking theta state for the first seven, eight years of their life. So their intuition is peaking. So if there's trauma going on in their life, they're trying to determine a way to find safety, you know, Mm -hmm. so they want any kind of guidance, any kind of hint or clue as to what to do to prevent further trauma or abuse from happening, that they get so in tuned with their intuition in a much stronger sense that it really opens up that neural process and channel in the brain at a younger age, which creates a bigger highway to allow that information to come through later in life. Once we really start dropping out of that theta state, you know, it really shuts that down. So have you found that, and I want to get into a little bit more about what theta is, but have you found that people who have experienced that kind of trauma have an easier process to access the theta brainwave as an adult too, or is there not a connection there? Um, I haven't noticed a connection with that. What I found is everyone gravitates into a theta brainwave rather easily just by being in the presence or communicating with a person that's in a theta brainwave. Well, and that's another powerful thing about the process of learning theta healing is you do it in a group and there's always a stronger energy and a, a greater vibration in a group. It totally is so much easier, you know, in person or with more people in that theta brainwave because your brain's going to pick up on whatever that frequency is. And brains are incredibly lazy, or you could call them efficient. You know, it's either way you want (laughs) to look at it. So next time a person calls you lazy, just say, no, I'm really efficient, you know, because your brain doesn't (laughs) want to burn a lot of energy. And if it can have access to a theta brainwave, which is like five to eight hertz per cycle per second, Versus a beta where we're usually in like 15 to 25, your brain's going to gravitate into a theta because it's just, it uses less energy and it keeps you more in a safer situation to where you're not in that reactionary fight or flight that beta can put us into. So before we get too far into the, the nuts and bolts of that, how do you explain theta healing to people? Oh, it's a very good question. Um, initially, when I started, it would be like a 12 minute process, you know, <laughs> trying to just true because I still didn't quite fully integrate it, you know, into my conscious mind, my unconscious mind, and then through my experiences, reinforce it. But now when I kind of look at it, I kind of shy away from theta healing as just calling it a modality. Um, so to me, it's, uh, I really like to talk about theta healing more from the brainwave and the quantum perspective, you know, and to me, it's more about quantum physics. My brain's that male brain. It just kind of functions that way. And, but to me, quantum is the bridge between science and religion or spine science and spirituality. It connects the two. It really allows someone to see both. So theta healing to me is just about utilizing our brain in a theta brain wave to come into conscious creation. Um, by utilizing quantum physics, where usually unconsciously it's happening through a theta brainwave that's just running in the background as we're awake and conscious. 
So to me, it's really just about learning and understanding the rules of the game to me, which is quantum. And then just intending to consciously shift any traumas that we have or shift any unconscious programs that we have taken on, which then allows us to create something different than what we were able to create before. And I love the introduction of quantum physics because that is a daunting topic for a lot of people. It is. But it doesn't have to be. It can be something that is easily accessible and utilized by the masses. It's it's fascinating that we're all unconscious. What's that? You you were nodding your head, but nobody's gonna see that. Okay, good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> it is like you can get you can go down rabbit holes after literal rabbit holes in quantum physics. Um, but to me, I just always like to keep things simple. Like we can just scratch the surface, understand the bigger perspective without having to fully understand every single nuance of what we're doing. I mean, how many people have you drive, get in your car and know how every aspect of your car works for you to feel comfortable in driving? No, we know how to start it. We know where the radio is, turn signals, gears, gas pedal, brake, clutch, whatever you have and how to put gas or maybe oil in it. So the same thing with quantum physics kind of applies is let's keep it simple, you know, and to me, the simplest perspective in quantum physics is time as we know it doesn't exist in quantum the way that we perceive it through our biological three-dimensional bodies. You know, time is just a relative location between two objects and what we would call space. So when you start to look at the concept of time, I always like to look at a movie, look at a DVD, if they even have DVDs anymore, like look at it or even anything that's on your disc or on a phone. You have this whole time sequence that's already done and we just have to watch it in a linear fashion, you know, for us to make sense of what's going on based on what has happened and then what's coming in the future, which is why our brain needs to look at time linearly. Because if we woke up one day and we were picking up energy from when we were five, next day when we're nine, next day when we're seven, the brain wouldn't be able to function and make sense of what's coming. So we need the illusion of time in these bodies for us to perceive what we have done and how it can shift and change what we choose to do in the moment, which can create a different future. So the whole time doesn't exist. The brain isn't really wired to fully understand it. It's one of those things like just have faith in the process of looking at it as a movie and it can kind of shift that perspective very differently. Um, And then the second simplest perspective in quantum physics is nothing exists unless it becomes witnessed. Now, witnessing isn't visual, even though most people have visually, uh, they associate witnessing. And it can shift. It can shift so quickly. And plus, people that are blind obviously create an existence. So we know it's not just a visual perspective. And to me, what the witnessing truly is breaks down a little bit of a deeper look into quantum, which is in quantum, you have things that are in a wavelength form, and then you have things that are called particles. And wavelength is everything and anything that is possible. Anything that can be created In this holographic existence, they've already determined that this is holographic. It's not real to the extent that we believe it to be real. It's very much like a video game. And we're just the person with the game controller, but we're not always told that. So in the wavelength is anything and everything that's possible to be created. 
Our DNA's morphogenetic field is what converts wavelength energy to a particle. So a part particles feel more real in this holographic existence where wavelength is like all the materials that can be used to build any type of situation. And um, if you want to go deeper into that, so wavelength energy for it to be everything and anything that's possible has to be balanced. You've got to have access to both sides, something that you would like, something loving and something that you wouldn't like, something out of like a fearful perspective, not phobia fear, but just fear in general. So therefore, it kind of asserts to me that all particle energy has to be imbalanced. So there's got to be more of an expression of love or more of an expression of fear in relationship to that particle, because if it was truly balanced, it would be a wavelength energy. So interesting, right? It's kind of a unique little way of looking at it. And listen, all, a lot of this information has come through intuition. I'll be honest with you. I've read a lot of things about quantum physics after I got divorced too, because my male brain wanted to learn about that stuff. But a lot of the finer details with this, just a particle can't be a wavelength. So it has to be in balance kind of thing came through one day when I was meditating. I'm like, well, shit, that makes so much sense. <laughs> so the bigger question is what is, what are we doing? That's converting wavelength to particles. And that is what our unconscious programs reflect. Ah. Brain believes to be its truth. You only know what you know will reflect through your manifestations and creations to show you what is imbalanced. Because we talk about separation and division in the world right now, but on a micro scale for a personal level, the biggest separation and division that we have is our conscious mind to our unconscious <laughs> mind. Where unconscious is what our brain takes on as its truth. Conscious is what we think the truth is, which very rarely is the truth. Or else there wouldn't be a separation and division. Once you understand what your unconscious programs are, then there's a lot of different ways that you can shift and balance those programs. So therefore, you're not going to have these manifestations that are just reflecting more fear than love you know, which is generally what happens to us in the first three to four years of our life is we pick up more fear than love. So all of this is going on on a quantum level. How are we witnessing it? Good question. And it's our DNA's field. It's our, it's the human DNA is the energetic field, your Merkaba, whatever you want to call this massive energy field that's around you is what is emitting all of our unconscious programs. It's like, here are all the imbalances of what we believe to be our truth. And that's what gets converted from a wavelength to a particle in our existence. Now, which aspects about it, that depends on the movie, you know, because then if we go back to no time, uh, this is where it gets a little weird. Is life predetermined or is it free will? You know, and the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if time doesn't exist, then we have chosen to incarnate into a life that is predetermined to the majority of its content, let's say. So the true free will is to choose to incarnate into a predetermined life. Now, a lot of times people don't like that whole idea where if everything's predetermined and it's done, why would, why do I have to do anything? And I'm like, exactly. 
So if no matter what you choose to do, if it happens, that's what was predetermined in a way. So if we have the freedom of knowing that, why would we ever choose anything out of fear if there's no right or wrong choice? But now we're getting into our programs of what's right or what's wrong or what you should or shouldn't do. So to me, man, it's, it's more freeing and knowing if, hey, whatever I feel I want to do, it's about more about saying yes to us instead of saying no to other people too. Because if we start doing what we think other people want us to do, that's not our choice. Well, and then we add the layer of other incarnations and other timelines and other dimensions all happening at the same time. And what kind of cluster is this creating energetically? And it's just fascinating. It is. I mean, the way I like to describe your soul, which is, you know, to me, all spirituality in a way, is what I call multi-level marketing. You know, because if there's this creative universal force of energy that our souls are birthed from, you know, so now we have all these individuated souls that are all birthed from the same spark of the divine. We're just a micro to the macro. And then what do we do as souls? We splinter our souls into fragments into all these different incarnations. So it's just like this big pyramid scheme that we're all running through in a spiritual perspective. So when we look at all of our lifetimes that we incarnate in, I like to call the soul like a red box machine. And all the possible choices you have of what movies you would want to watch or live, that becomes your different incarnations. But they're all going on simultaneously since there's no time. It's just we're witnessing each one individually through these biological bodies that we call. If that makes sense simpler to look at the bigger perspective of different timelines and and plus you can incarnate in the same body multiple times this is my fifth time back as fred which means the other four times i've tried this you choose one different choice and you're on a whole different trajectory of your lifetime so we tend to it's kind of trippy when you really start thinking about that and it's hard to keep in mind no judgment because the first four times it was a different experience. Not that you screwed it up. Not at all. <laughs> no, there's no, and that's, that comes back to the judgment, like you said. And um, the biggest thing that will shut down anyone's intuition is judgment. Judgment creates separation and division, um, something that's right and something that's wrong. And then what happens from that perspective is then we start to separate from ourselves. And then that allows and us to start looking at things in a different way. And judgment is totally fear-based. It's not Absolutely. from a perspective of love. No. Judgment just says that there has to be a right and there has to be a wrong. You know, which is what all religions, you know, most, the vast majority of religions, you know, espouse. There's judgment, right and wrong. Do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. Then you have countries you know, or our country is better, or our God's better than your God, you know, or we believe in this, you believe in that. And all we see is it's the separation and this trickle down effect of divisions to where the past three, four years, everything has been about divided. You know, wearing a mask. Oh, it's all about that because it's easy to control someone who's in fear. Try to control someone who's in love. Remember when you were a teenager and you thought you were in love, 
no one could tell you any different. It, you were uncontrollable, which is probably what upset your parents a lot too, which created a lot of challenges. Yeah. <laughs> I happen to be living that. <laughs> <laughs> As the parents <laughs> yep, of two teenage boys, <laughs> good luck with that, you know, but at least you have a bigger perspective, you know, of understanding the bigger picture and an association to like when I was a child, I mean, I, just seven years ago, eight years ago, I didn't believe any of this stuff, you know, so like my whole life has been completely rocked on so many different levels of to what we thought was real, what we're told what was real and none of it ever is. Well, I've always had a different perspective on what's real because I've always been connected. Like I thought every family had people living in the junk room at the end of the hall. Like (laughs) I didn't know that wasn't everyone's experience. Yep. And my mother has always called it that talking to dead people shit. Yeah. So it's a normal doesn't everyone do this? And so you start talking to people about it. And then they start looking at you like you're crazy. And then how do you deal with yeah, that? Yeah. And I've, well, I've always had a good perspective. Like, it was, I'm not the crazy one. There must be something wrong with everyone else. <laughs> yes. It's fascinating. We're just anyway. Uh, and the thing I love about right. how, how biology just totally reflects the truth is even if you just look at our vision, you know, our brain sees everything upside down and backwards as it passes through the lens of your eye, gets inverted to the optical nerves. So the, the fact that our brain sees everything upside down and backwards is probably more truth in this existence that everything that we're told and programmed with or what we believe is the complete opposite. So this is a little in the weeds, but two weeks ago or so, I developed a floater. And Literally, while I was evaluating, like, oh, is this my contract? Is this whatever? I, the the vow or contract or whatever it was came in that said, if you want to see more, you have to sacrifice your vision. And I was like, damn it, Fred, I worked on that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many times I hear that and how many times I've said it myself? Didn't I work on this already? <laughs> and this kind of bleeds into a lot more of the, the other lifetimes that we talk about. You know, because if we're looking at living through our existences all simultaneously, then we would be the same biological age, roughly, in all of our incarnations simultaneously. So there's a lot more horizontal, I think, influence than just a vertical influence of a single lifetime. And that could be one of your lifetimes where you did take that vow to sacrifice your vision in order for you to gain an insight or a spiritual power or a sixth sense in another lifetime that's going on horizontally, that's impacting you now. Why? To show you where there's an imbalance that it knows you have the capacity to correct in this existence. Oh boy, more work. Ah, more fun. (laughs) (laughs) And it's going to happen again and again. Well, and you're totally right. Like it is fun and daunting all at the same time because there's trauma associated with some of those things. And while we don't relive the trauma, like my natural reaction is to turn from the trauma. Oh, yeah. It's a survival mechanism. Which I think is another aspect of our biology, which is shifting. 
Um, like we have a lot of vestigial organs, you know, like tonsils and appendix, things that they say, oh, they don't know what they do anymore uh, because maybe at one point in time they were needed. I really feel our ego and our limbic system or a fight or flight is something that's going to be eventually, you know, um, evolved out in a way because the ego is what causes the separation more than anything. And the fight or flight, I don't like to call it the reptilian brain, you know? And so to me, these, these are things that were needed, you know, in the human experience when we lived in a cave, you know, we needed to be aware of if a lion or something was going to attack us. Um, but nowadays right. it's more simple in the perspective of where we're at, but the limbic system to me is a hot button that can be utilized to control people just by putting people in fear, 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 and more fear. And people are so frequently in that vibration. Imagine if you're in a room full of people and we're talking about theta brainwave and how our brainwave reacts to the theta brainwave. Imagine if the brain is surrounded by 20 people that are in a high beta fear, fight or flight mode, your brain's going to pick that up energetically. And, it's and I, can't, I can't get out of that room fast no. enough. <laughs> no, I will like fake throwing up to get out of that room, you know, do whatever I need to do to get the hell out of there. Because I mean, when you're aware of it, it's something, but it's like, you don't need to put ourselves in these situations to test us for any reason. If it doesn't feel good, say yes to you and do what you need to do to get yourself in that space. And that's part of what we're here to learn is to navigate through these experiences and, and make a choice that's different than what we've done before, which I always like to say, say yes to you, not no to yourself by saying yes to someone else. So it's fun. Uh, well, I mean, this is fascinating and we could talk about this all day. So now that we like finally found the magic of my dogs barking and all the other normal life events that have derailed us. I tried we to should do this again. <laughs> Absolutely. You have <laughs> Let this energy calm down. But I think it's really important for people to just to understand that you all have the capacity for the theta. You know, find theta binaural beats on YouTube. This is what I tell a lot of my clients is find theta beats binaural. You need to have stereo headphones when you're listening and listen to it when you're doing things actively, not driving a car, but when you're doing things actively around the house or just walking or whatever, train your brain to stay in theta and you will be less stressed. Oh, I have to tell you a quick. Yeah. I, I want to tell you a quick really cute story before we we disconnect um one of our friends chris who uh, if you listen every week you've you've heard me chat with chris he did uh -huh. a theta meditation at my pond another one after we were there that with your class okay. and my friend's daughter came she's 10 and she was in it like she's like where have you guys been all my life like this is this is who i want to be so she goes home and says to her mom, you need to call Chris and get a recording of that theta meditation because I need it. <laughs> I was awesome. like, she is um, my spirit animal. I just got chills, you know, because that to me is these kids are being born into a higher vibration. I mean, just to the, of earth, you know, because me, earth is ascending. We're just along for the ride yeah. if we choose to get in alignment with it. So as earth's energy is expanding tremendously, all the kids that are being born at that time, their vibe, their bar is set higher than us older, denser people, you know, to where it was like a, a stagnation <laughs> that we have to learn how to fight through to get back to that vibration that they're already coming in hardwired for. 
and I love it. Um, right. Damn it. I do too. It's awesome. Super cool. Oh, I love hearing that. Thank you for sharing. It's such a beautiful story. Well, I want to thank you for spending some time with us. Yeah. And I want to thank all of our listeners for riding the quantum physics ride with us. Totally. <laughs> so I will see all of you next week on Witches, Bitches, and Dead People. Peace and badass magic. Thank you for listening to Witches, Bitches, and Dead People with Jamie Hearn. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in. 